welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, August 17th, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 20. Moses implores Israel to remember and not to forget all that the Lord has done, lest Israel be filled with pride, forsake the Lord, and then perish like all the other nations. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. Pastor Heidi serves as pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He's also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken. Pastor Heidi, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Glad to be on as always. Let's talk a little bit of context to get started, Pastor Heidi. We're in Deuteronomy 8. What should we know about Deuteronomy, what Moses has been preaching leading up to this point? Yeah, so the basic overview of the book of Deuteronomy, of course, is Moses giving his final instructions before Israel enters into the promised land. Uh, They're standing just outside the borders of Canaan, and Moses is reminding them of everything that the Lord has done for them, and basically exhorting them to listen to him, to follow after him, so that things will go well for them. Uh, Chapter 8 in particular is a little ways into what I would call the introduction of the main speech of the book, which of course began back in about, oh, what chapter was it? About chapter five, you know, this this main part, this main sermon, if you will, that, that Moses is giving. And he's still in the introduction because he won't really get to the heart of it until he gets to chapter 12, which is where he starts laying out the specific laws, the specific things they're supposed to actually follow. But at this point, Moses is still exhorting them to actually pay attention and to listen so that they, you know, will take all of these things to heart once he gets to the central part of that sermon. Yeah, we've we've talked about the book of Deuteronomy. We had Professor Harstad on with us at the very beginning, and he divides it up into three sermons or addresses, depending on how you want to call them. Chapters one to four is the first one, the introduction to the, the whole book. A lot of history in that one, setting the stage then for what comes in this big one in the middle, as you said, the really the heart of Deuteronomy. And I, I like the thought of this as an introduction to like the laws that are going to come. Do this, don't do that. We know that that's coming in the book of Deuteronomy. How is, is this section and chapter eight within that setting the stage for the laws that are to come? I mean, because he says right away, you know, the whole commandment I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. So he's basically saying all of these things which I'm about to tell you, okay? So this this chapter really is looking forward to what is still coming. So like I said, it's kind of the introduction to the sermon. Um, With those in mind, what I'm about to tell you, this is why you should listen. Because of all that God has done, of all that God is going to do, And this would be the great danger if you don't listen, 
and what God will do, you know, if you don't pay attention to what I'm telling you today. So there is both an ex uh, exhortation to do these things, but there, are all, there is also a strong note of warning uh, in this chapter as well. So there's, I mean, and this comes at the end of the book of Deuteronomy too, where there's this series of blessings and curses. This is now beforehand setting the stage. Here is why you should do these things that I'm about to tell you as you enter into the promised land. It's based on the history of the way God has acted toward his people in the past. We're going to see a lot of that history today. And, and one of the big themes then is remembering what God has done, not forgetting it, lest these warnings, these these curses come into play. So a lot of, I guess, you said, the reason for why you should do what Moses is laying out, remember, don't forget, there's a history involved. God is going to make some promises. He's going to give some warnings. And knowing it, that he's the faithful God is going to be a background of all of this. He does what he says he's going to do. Any more introductory thoughts before we jump in to chapter eight? No, I think that pretty well covers it. All right. This is Deuteronomy chapter eight. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord, your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you, to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish." 
like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. That's our text for today. That is Deuteronomy chapter 8. All right, Pastor Heidi, the first part of this text, verses 1 to 10, this is one of the Thanksgiving texts in many of our congregations. It's one that that we hear regularly on Thanksgiving Eve or Thanksgiving Day. Whenever your, your church may have a Thanksgiving service, we have it on Thanksgiving Eve. That's what I associate it with. Uh, get us started into to what Moses is saying. We're, we'll start with these first 10 verses. Okay. Well, I think as a way of introducing all of this and kind of giving the reasons why we sh- they should listen to what he's about to tell them, I mean, because that's really the whole point of the first verse to say like, you know, you need to listen. And basically starting at verse two, he's saying, this is why you should listen. And the first reason being because, well, you need to remember everything that just happened, the 40 years that you spent in the wilderness and the reason why these things happened. And we have here a a tremendous contrast between the wilderness itself and the land that they're about to enter into. Because the wilderness was a place of scarcity, it was a place of trial, it was a place of tribulation, a very difficult place to live in, whereas the land they're about to enter into is the exact opposite, which we'll get to in a little bit. Hmm. Um, But by remembering everything that happened these previous 40 years, that will be the first reason why they're moved to listen to the Lord their God. Because, you know, they went through this terrifying place, and yet they made it through, which only could happen because of God, right? Well, that, yeah, that's exactly right. So let's let's start with the contrast that we get between the wilderness and the promised land. I like the way that you said that, that the wilderness, that's the difficult place to live in. The promised land, on the other hand, is the easy place to live in, and that, that contrast is quite great. But what the Lord wants his people to remember, and we'll talk more about the remembering and forgetting in a a bit, what the Lord wants his people to remember is how they made it through the wilderness. This was by the Lord's gracious provision, only by his hand and by his word. That's one of the key things. So that they will realize that when they get into the promised land, where it might seem easy to think, oh, we're making it just fine here because of maybe because of the land or because of ourselves. No, that's not the reason either. They're going to live in the promised land by the same the same way. That's going to be by the Lord's word as well. So even with this contrast that you've got a difficult place to live, an easy place to live, it's actually the same means that's providing for them in both places. It's the word of the Lord. Right. And I mean, when we see them in the wilderness, because let's just take some of the big contrasts, right? You have the wilderness presented as a land in which there is no food you know, that there's nothing for them to eat whatsoever. In fact, we'll see that a little bit later in the second half of this reading as well. Whereas the promised land is a place which is overwhelmed with food, right? Wheat, barley, vines, figs, pomegranates, all these things. A place where you don't have to hardly work to provide for yourself, okay? And the wilderness, on the one hand, is a dry place, um, a place without, you know, hardly any water, because remember all the times while they were in the wilderness, you know, they come to a place and there was no water and they began to grumble against Moses. I mean, it's the a refrain you hear throughout the books of Exodus and Numbers, right? Um, but on the other hand, the promised land itself is described as a land being full of water. So you can see this, this contrast between the two. And yet I think you rightly point out 
that in both places, regardless of where we are, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And that's something that we need to remember, especially when we are living in our own situations where things are not that difficult for us, even with the disruptions going on in our economy. You know, we can get food most any time of the year, like fresh produce in the middle of winter. You know, that's right. <laughs> it's it's a it's a time of great abundance and that can lead yeah. us to be forgetful. Go ahead. Oh, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, and I think this this really gets to the way Moses introduces this whole chapter. The, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply. I mean, just those words, live and multiply. I think that's, there's probably more than just, you're going to, more than just a surviving in the promised land, but a, a sense of thriving in the promised land. And again, well, of course, we're going to go in and live and multiply in such a plenteous land, but it's it's not just the well, why is that land plenteous? What what makes it so bountiful? It's not because of the land itself or because of the people of Israel and their great skill in farming or mining or finding water. The land is plentiful because of what the Lord is doing. And so that that then again provides the reason to listen to the commandment, to do the commandment, all of these things that Moses will list. That's because of that comes back to the Lord's word, right? And that's what they're going to live and multiply in this great land, not because of the land itself, not because of their skill, but because of the Lord and his word. And, and that's what's been sustaining them these whole years in the wilderness. So talk more about the the time in the wilderness, what Moses brings up and the way the Lord sustained them there. Right. So in the wilderness, we have the, the giving of the manna, for example. So even though this was a place where they weren't able to get food normally, especially for such a very large group of people. Uh, God still gave them food. Now, it might not have been as much food as we might like. You know, it was, I think, I think the best way to look at the manna, especially since it's described as what they needed for the day, was kind of a, this is what you need, period. <laughs> you, you know, it's not, it's not like a big heaping plate of, of manna every single day and you're eating that and you always feel like you got to unbuckle your belt every time kind of a thing. I really do think that it's this idea that you're getting just enough food until tomorrow. So there's hmm. always this sense of testing that goes along with manna that you really do truly have to rely on God because you can't save that bread for tomorrow either. You have to be given it each and every day. You know, that's an important point too. Certainly. And I mean, that's, that brings up the, the humbling, the testing that's there in your heart. The, the phrase that, that shows up a couple times here in conjunction with manna is that this is a, a food that you didn't know and your fathers didn't know. So, so not only is it, you know, as you were describing the food that you need, which you can go back into the book of Exodus, particularly, I think it's chapter 16, where manna is first given and described and all the process concerning when it's going to come, how much you gather, when you gather, not storing and all of that in Exodus 16, that daily necessity that you're talking about. Here in Deuteronomy 8, this matter of, 
of you didn't know this before. This was a bread or a food that you'd never you'd never received in the past. Your fathers didn't know anything about it either. They never received it, but it was a brand new thing, something you didn't know in Egypt. To me, that seems that it's it's highlighting again, this is the Lord at work preserving his people, particularly in a place where it's not going to come from the land. I mean, you're not going to be farming along the way in the wilderness. Even if you could farm the nature of the journey, you're, you're not going to be farming. So this is a, a bread that is coming from a, a different source. It's not yours, but again, it's coming from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, the Psalms, I can't remember which one in particular, uh, refer to it as the bread of the angels. So, I mean, it is very much a supernatural kind of food, something that um, they, I mean, even, you think of it this way, even Israel himself, I'm talking about Jacob, you know, when he's dealing with the, the famine that will eventually drive him down into Egypt, you know, God didn't give him manna then, and he's Israel. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, this is something that they did not know. Abraham didn't know it. You know, none of them knew it up to this point, but God is now giving it to them and even giving them, as he will say later in this chapter, you know, water out of the flinty rock where you would not normally expect to find water, all to emphasize that again and again, it is by the Lord alone that you have what you have, Mm -hmm. not just in the wilderness, but every single day. Yeah, that's right. So that what was, what's given there in the wilderness in the manna, even though it's not going to be manna that feeds them when they go into the promised land, that that manna stops when they go into the promised land, it's still going to be the word of the Lord that feeds them, which is, I mean, this is the point then that Moses makes in verse three, one of the best known parts of Deuteronomy, perhaps because of the way Jesus quotes it in his temptation in the wilderness. Talk more about what that means in verse three, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Yeah. I think the, the referring to Jesus, which of course we were going to get to, I mean, we have to, right? Of course (laughs) it's the Bible. It's about him. I, I think the way that Jesus uses it in the midst of his temptation is the best way to help us to understand its meaning because Jesus in chapter four, when he's being tempted by the devil, the devil comes up to him and says, you know, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. You know, provide for yourself in this moment, Jesus, because you can't be certain if you're actually going to get what you need. You know, you haven't eaten anything for 40 days. You can't be certain that you're going to have food tomorrow. You've been out here for so long. Just do this one thing, the devil says, and you can get the food that you need. But Jesus rebukes him and says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of of the Lord. In other words, it is that trust, that absolute unwavering trust, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what is happening, that God is going to care for you. And that is the, the, the great emphasis that Moses has here and that Jesus also has in in Matthew chapter four. So how does I mean how does that apply to us today? What does that what does that look like? I mean, we're not being tempted to turn stones into bread, but but what does that look like for us to to trust the word of God to be our provision instead of relying on our own strength or something like that? 
Well, I mean, you could take uh, economic situations. Like, let's say we live paycheck to paycheck. You know, things are pretty tight. We're not really sure how things are going to pan out. There could be a temptation for us to say, well, I need to do something in order to make this work because I can't be sure that I'm going to have something tomorrow. You know, I need to do something to make sure that I'm going to have money to be able to put something on the table, whatever that may be. And especially if it's something we're tempted to do that's, say, um, dubious or, you know, even immoral, right? Right. Well, and that's just briefly, and I'll let you go on, but just I need to do something outside of what God has given me to do or commanded me to do, right. Right, that I would need to somehow go outside of God's word to get those good things. That would be the, the temp. Not that, I mean, you're not, you're not saying don't work, but to go, right? I mean, we're saying don't go outside of God's word to get something. It won't be found there. It will only be found in trust in what God has said and given and commanded. Right, right. <laughs> you're always tempering me. It's probably good, though. <laughs> Well, I just I, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you, but I, I think it I, I think that's an important clarification, right? That's what I need to do something because we have this I think we have this temptation to equate worry and work, and they're two different things. God does want us to work; He doesn't want us to worry, and we often reverse the two. So I need to do something outside of God's law. That's where we're going beyond what Moses is talking about here in Deuteronomy eight three, or even just yeah, I mean, outside of what God has given us kind of a thing, right? to look beyond, to look for something else, especially to look inward as the way of dealing with our problems, to say that, you know, my own hand will get me these things. I mean, there is a sense in which we can idolize ourselves, even unintentionally. You know, mm. I, I'm going to lift myself up. I'm going to get myself out of this situation. I'm going to do it because I have the power to do it. You know, that that kind of temptation is always a very live issue. Right, right. And I think, I mean, this this verse, uh, along with what we are still to come to, is one of the reasons you do see this as a part of the way Christians should think about Thanksgiving and why this would be appointed for a national day of Thanksgiving. Because, I mean, when you think about Thanksgiving, one of the other things I think we should talk about with this is the, the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread that God gives daily bread to everyone, even without our asking for it. And he gives it even to evil people. But when we receive the daily bread, when we receive the manna, God wants us to receive it as a gift from him and with thanksgiving. And I think, I mean, this verse, and you've talked about the daily nature of manna already, you can see why this would be attached to a Christian observation of thanksgiving, something different than just kind of taking a day off to eat too much and to watch some football but rather actually to recognize the source of everything that we have is God and God alone. I think maybe another helpful way of looking at this too is that in that verse where it says, you know, man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's fine as a translation. And in the New Testament, when Jesus quotes it, he very specifically says word. But I do find it interesting that you could also translate this as everything that goes out from the mouth of the Lord. Hmm. And I think the reason why that's helpful for us is because then we see it not only as just words, which is, you know, we could just kind of equate that with saying, oh, well, the Bible or something like that. That's all important. Don't get me wrong. But it's everything that goes out from God's mouth, which included the manna, right. which included the bread, which includes 
our job, which includes our daily bread, as you put it, you know, everything that goes out from his mouth, everything that he gives to us. Hmm. Well, I mean, that I think connects just, you can go back to the creation account where everything that comes out of God's mouth, that's how he created was by speaking. And so this, I think this is an important point that you're making, that when we, we say that man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, this isn't some sort of like spiritual, non-physical sense that we're talking about. But this means that everything that we need for life, and that's the very physical things we need for life, that comes from what comes from God's mouth, from his speaking. It's a it's a gift to us so that we should understand this both you know, temporally and eternally. Our lives are entirely gifts from God. Right. I think the, the, the proper technical term here would be providence, right? That God provides all of these things for us because he's the one who, as you said, spoke them into existence. So the, the the promised land itself, you know, being a land of wheat and barley and water and vines and all of that, all of that has come forth from his mouth. And they need to see that just as much as they saw the manna and the water come forth from his mouth in the wilderness. That really is the, the point here. So, yeah, yeah. Well, well said, Pastor Heidi. One more before we, before we leave this behind, because you know, we mentioned already with Jesus how he quotes Deuteronomy 8, verse 3 in his temptation in the wilderness. He talks a little bit about himself being this bread coming down from heaven in John chapter 6 when he says, I am the bread of life. I think there's maybe another connection we can draw to Jesus through those words. Sure. I mean, by referring to himself as the manna, Jesus is essentially saying that he is the one you know, whom we need. He is the one thing needful. He is the, the one who provides for everything that we have. And when we hold on to him... We are eating a bread which is greater than the manna ever was because the manna preserved Israel physically in the wilderness. And as important as that is, that pales in comparison with the spiritual life which we have in Jesus. So, yeah, he is the greater manna, the greater provision, the greater providence, if you want to put it that way, uh, in our wilderness today. That's right. The one that keeps us alive, not just physically in this life, but physically in the resurrection life. He is the one who, I mean, the manna, they ate it, they died. It's only through faith in Jesus that those who have died physically are raised from the dead. And that is the true bread of life. And that is Jesus. Check out John 6 for more of that. We do need to take a break here on Sharper Iron. We're looking at Deuteronomy 8 this morning with Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. We will be right back. Please. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. 
Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, August 17th. We're studying Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 20 with Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. He is pastor at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. Pastor Heidi, prior to the break, we were looking at this first section of the chapter, the first 10 verses. And one thing that we haven't really talked about yet is one of the things that the Lord emphasizes is that he is humbling his people. It says in verse three that he actually let them hunger. It talks about discipline in verse five. What's the the nature of the humbling and the discipline that the Lord was giving his people in the wilderness? Well, we have to remember, first of all, that the wilderness, as we said before, is the the place of testing. It is the, the difficult place to be in, right? It is a place where there's no food. It's a place where there's hardly any water, a place which we'll find out later is full of snakes and scorpions. You know, it's a very difficult and terrifying place to be. And part of that is the humbling, because when Israel is thrown out into the wilderness, you know, taken away from Egypt. They're no longer eating the the flesh pots of Egypt. They're no longer having all the food and the comfort which they had, as small as it may have been in Egypt. That's all gone. And now they can't farm, as you said. They can't provide for themselves. And so they are cast into this situation where they really have nothing. And because of that, this is the great testing. They need, God wants to humble them and so that he will see, are they going to follow me or not? When man has absolutely nothing left, where will he turn? That's the, the kind of the main point here. Well, and that that's what they would see in the wilderness, is when, when you don't have anything, where will you turn? Will you trust in the Lord to provide it? And of course, you can read through Exodus and Leviticus, and particularly Numbers, and see how often the people of Israel did not turn to the right place when they, when they had nothing. But again, I think as they are preparing to enter into the promised land, the point becomes, now that you're going to have everything, where will you turn? Will you still turn to the Lord when you have everything? It was, it was perhaps... I won't. I don't know that I should say it was easier, easy for them to to turn to the Lord when they had nothing. But maybe it was easier to turn to the Lord when they when they didn't have anything than it will be for them when they're full. And that's going to be. I mean, again, we're kind of getting ahead of that. But I mean, this this is maybe one of the surprising things about this section is that the humbling, the discipline, things that sometimes maybe in our world today we don't think of as good things. These are actually tools that God is using for his purposes, to refine his people, to strengthen their trust in him. Well, because discipline is always something that has a goal in mind. God never disciplines his people just because, you know, he, we, don't, we don't punish our children because we feel like punishing them. You know, that would be cruel and heartless. We discipline our children because we love them, because we want to prepare them, right? I mean, the, the, let's think of it this way. Let's use a, an analogy. You know, the athlete, for example, I'm, I'm speaking like Paul now. Um, <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll, <laughs> the, the athlete trains and disciplines his own body so that when the actual time of the game comes, he will be ready. 
So in this sense, the wilderness is a, a difficult place to live in, but it is the, the training period. It is the time of testing. It's the time of you know, going to practice, so to speak, so that when the game comes, the real test, that is the promised land with the abundance, they'll be ready for it. So in some sense, the promised land, as good and as abundant as it is and as easy as it is, is actually the more difficult. Because now, how much do they really trust the Lord when they have everything? Mm-hmm. Right. So they, they need this time of testing. The Lord uses this time of humbling and discipline for the sake of preparing them to live by faith in, in a place where it's going to be, quote, easier to do so. In fact, there are going to be great dangers. And that, that really is where the second, second section of our text comes, the last 10 verses. Before we, before we get there, though, let's talk about We've talked a lot about the wilderness and the difficulties that they faced there, the lack of food, the lack of water. But we have this contrast in the verses 7 through 10 of our text, the great goodness of the promised land. What does Moses say about, I mean, it's just an overwhelming section in verses 7 through 10. Yeah, you have a land which is has so much water in it, it is practically flooded with water. I mean, that's really kind of the picture he has here. It's practically underwater. There's so much water in it. And it is a land of great food, you know, wheat and barley and vines and figs and all this. Uh, It's a land which there is no poverty whatsoever because you can eat bread without having to really work for it. And in fact, he says it's a land whose stones are iron. And that doesn't mean that it's difficult. It means that things are so abundant that iron is as plentiful as stone. I mean, you think of like First Kings, for example, I think it's in chapter seven, if I remember correctly, when you're talking about the great wealth of Solomon, you know, he doesn't even measure out the, the utensils made of iron and, and bronze because there's just so, me- so much of it. And it, it even says that silver in his days was counted as nothing because, you know, of the great wealth of the land. So this idea of stones being as plentiful as irons being as plentiful as stones and the hills being full of copper, the whole point is is that everything you need is going to be given to you, and you aren't even going to have to work for it. And yeah, what what keep going? Sorry, what I was saying, and and what are you going to do when you get in that situation? Is what Moses asks, but. That's right. That's right. What are you going to do in that situation? So verses seven through nine, really, that's where the Lord describes for his people, this is the land that I'm about to give you. And it's just overwhelming all of the goodness of of produce, of bread that can be made, of the natural resources. Iron and copper are so plentiful. What are you going to do? Verse 10, then, is the the conclusion. This is what you, you should do. Eat and be full. And then most importantly, in that fullness... Bless the Lord your God, because he gave you this good land. Right. Yeah, he gave you all of these things. He gave you the food. He gave you the water. He gave you the iron and the copper. He gave you it all. And you can eat and be full of it and really rejoice in that goodness, because God is good to his people. He's always good to his people. And yes, the natural reaction, the appropriate reaction should be, to bless him for it. But is that yeah. what they're going to do? Don't spoil it. I Pastor know, Heidi. I know. You've got the whole Old Testament to see how that doesn't work <laughs> out. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, okay. So, but that that is what the appropriate response should be is verse 10. Eat, be full, enjoy the blessings of this land. I mean, that what a what a nice thing to be able to enjoy the blessings of the land. Do so blessing the Lord your God, recognizing that all of this goodness in this, quote, easy land to live in, you're getting it the same way you were preserved in the wilderness. This comes from the hand of the Lord. And that then takes us into the the second section of this text, which does bring more warning to this. We've talked about sort of the positive side. Here comes a little bit of the warning. And, And yet they're very much connected, these two sections, because at the beginning, Moses said, remember, and here he says, don't forget. And so, I mean, in both sections, this is the key. Remember, don't forget. What What's the point of this language from Moses, which again, shows up throughout these 20 verses? Well, the, the remembering is to remember what God has done and what God is doing. It is to turn towards the Lord, to rely on him, to listen to his voice, to follow after him in everything that you're doing. That's what he means by remembering. But forgetting, on the other hand, is, well, obviously the exact opposite. It is not listening to God. It is forgetting what he's done. It's, you know, just saying, I've done this all for myself. God didn't give any of it to me. So, I mean, you do have this contrast between the two. You should remember what God has done and don't forget what God has done, lest this happen to you. So, again, it is both the positive way of putting it, as you said, and the negative way, the the blessing and the curse, as we will see all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, especially at the end. Hmm. Well, okay, so as as we move then into verse 11 and the verses that follow, this is, this is where perhaps a surprising thing happens in this text. We were talking about in the wilderness, when everything was was going poorly, quote, poorly for the people, there was this, this temptation that they would not trust in the Lord, that they would grumble against the Lord, that they would think somehow he had it out for them. He was trying to kill them. And again, you see the people falling into that temptation. Now they're coming into this plentiful land where they're going to have everything they need. Well, surely there they're going to thank the Lord, bless the Lord, as Moses said in verse 10. They're going to trust in him and recognize this all as a good gift. Moses says, wait a second. There's danger here too in the promised land. There's temptation that you will face that will come if you forget all these things. What are the dangers that he starts to bring up when he talks about take care lest you forget in verse 11? Well, it really is just the danger of wealth. And honestly, that's something that occurs, that warning occurs so often in the Bible, it's hard to point to any one thing in particular. You know, that the deceitfulness of riches, as it were, the that temptation which we have when we have much to forget where that where it came from. And that is the great temptation that Israel is going to face in the promised land, because now they're going to have enough food to eat. They're going to have good houses. They're going to live in them. Their herds and their flocks are going to keep growing. They're going to become wealthier and wealthier, and everything that you have will be multiplied. Just this absolute abundance, which God is about to shower on them out of his goodness. But in that moment, the temptation will be to lift up your heart in pride and forget what God did for you. Okay, so lifting up your heart in pride, that shows up in verse 14. It also shows up in verse 17, where Moses says, beware lest you say, 
my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. The, the pride is one of the big dangers here. Talk about how the accumulation of wealth can lead to pride. Well, I think the reason why wealth becomes so dangerous for us is because, well, I mean, several reasons, really. Because for one part, it causes us to focus on it more than anything. Wealth has this way of drawing our attention to it so that the more that we have of it, the more that we focus on it. Now, this is why Jesus often warns us against the love of money, right? Because money is something that we want more of, right? We're never satisfied the more and more we get of it. And so there is that temptation to be drawn into just the, having possessions in themselves. I think that would be one one reason. Um, another reason might be because uh, great possessions are something that cause us to be very uh, today focused, if that makes any sense. Um, because when we have great wealth, we tend to be so focused on today or you know the the enjoyment of it today that we forget what happened yesterday which is the great danger that that is going to happen here because by getting all of these things they forget what god did all those years ago you know even even just 40 years ago when he led them out of egypt which is his point here you know god led you through the wilderness god led you out of egypt god brought you through this dangerous land give you all these things and yet you're going to forget that because you're going to be so overwhelmed with what you have yeah, I mean the the causing us to focus on the wealth again. I I see why a text like this would be used for a Christian observance of a day of Thanksgiving, because that is that is one of the temptations, and it's a subtle one, but it's perhaps one of the temptations when it comes to a a day like Thanksgiving, is to focus on all of the physical blessings. You know, I mean, and and, and this isn't this is not necessarily a bad thing to recognize. I have been blessed with a house, with a vehicle, with a food, a table full of food. I've, I've been blessed with all of these things. That's not bad to recognize that. But if all I focus on is that wealth that's there, and I don't focus on the way that, or the if I don't focus on the source of that wealth, the giver of those blessings, that's the that's the danger. And I, so that first point that you made, I think, is really important. Wealth does tend to draw our focus to it, whereas the Lord would have us focus not on the wealth, but on the one who has given the wealth. And by the way, he's the same one who sustains us when we're not so wealthy. He's doing it at both times, so don't forget him. And it's that wealth sometimes standing in between that draws our focus, and and here comes the forgetting the one who gave. Right. Maybe a way to test ourselves, if we, if I want to use that kind of language, is to ask ourselves, if I were to lose this, what would that mean for me? Hmm. And I think that's a really good question to ask. You know, what if the house burned down tomorrow? What if the car got totaled in a wreck? Nobody got hurt, but the car was done. You know, I lost it entirely and I didn't have these things anymore. Does that thought distress us? I mean, be, I mean, inordinately. So obviously there's always an emotional response to it. You know, nobody wants to lose their house. I get that. 
But at the same time, do we recognize that it's just a house or it's just a car? You know, these are good blessings, but there are greater blessings still. Or do we, in, in, in doing so, do we recognize that it is God who gave these things? And as Job says, it is God who also takes them away. And yet at the same time, here, here it is that it's the temptation for Israel is not that, what am I going to do if God takes them away? But what am I going to do when God gives them to me? And that's the the temptation. I mean, you know, with, with Job, the, the question that comes up is, you know, will, will Job continue to trust God when all, when he has nothing? Right. I think that the question of this text is, will you continue to trust God when you have everything? And, and in some ways, that seems to be the question that, that we tend to face in our society more today is, is not, will you trust God when it's all taken away, but will you continue to trust God when you have it all? And, and that's where it seems that we, we do fail so often, again, because it is the wealth that it's like we stop, we look at the wealth and we don't look at the one who gave it to us. And, and you're right. I mean, that is the question. I do think that the questions are related because, you know, sure. they're, they're still connected to wealth. But you do make a good point that, you know, if I were to, let's just use a hypothetical, win the lottery tomorrow, because that's the one that always comes up when people think of coming into money, right? I'm not saying yeah. you should go out and buy lotto tickets. I'm just saying that's what people think. Right. Um, if you were to come into great wealth tomorrow, would that change anything? <laughs> right. Well, and that's and that's the question that Israel is literally facing at the moment because they are, and it's not quote tomorrow, but a month or two down the road from Deuteronomy chapter eight. That's precisely what's about to happen to them: is that they are about to come into this land that God has long promised. He's going to give them exactly what He said. He's going to be faithful, and they are going to experience that in a very material way. Will they continue to trust in Him? Or, and, and again, here, let's, let's come back to the antidote for all this, because we've been talking about the dangers. The antidote for, for all of this is remembering and not forgetting. And, I mean, talk, talk more about that. How does the remembrance of God and not forgetting help us with the danger of, of wealth? Well, in a couple of ways, because first of all, they're exhorted to remember what God did, which is an important thing to remember, because, you know, he brought them out of Egypt. He brought them out of slavery. He brought them to the place where they are now. They would not be entering into this wealth if it was not for him. And they have to remember that as they're going in. They have to be aware that they would not be where they are today, standing on the cusp of Canaan, you know, on, on Jordan's banks, as it were, un, unless it was God who brought them there. And they need to keep that in mind as they enter into the promised land. But I think the other, the other way that this is also important is because the discipline that they went through, you know, when they had nothing, so to speak, when they learned how to trust in the Lord, they're called to recall that discipline, to recall the, the pain that they went through, to call, recall the difficulties they went through, because then they would remember what it means to trust God, you know, in the face of this great overwhelming wealth, which they're about to enter into. Remember the hard times so that you don't forget them uh, when, when the good times come, basically. Well, right. And again, to, to connect these, these two sections and various parts of our conversation, 
remember how the Lord sustained you in the wilderness, in that place where, by all rights, no one should have lived. You experienced quite great blessings, in fact. Even, even when the Lord was disciplining you and humbling you, you had what you needed to eat. Maybe you weren't full-bellied every time. Although, you know, I mean, the Lord says you eat as much as you as you you know can can fill, right? So I I don't know that they were anyways, that's but the point is he gave them a lot of blessings in the wilderness where they never would have lived. Remember that so that when you are in this promised land and it it looks like a really easy place to live because there's a lot of heathen nations in there right now who are reaping the benefits. Remember that even here, you are living by the same source. It's always from the mouth of the Lord. Everything that he speaks and promises to you, that's what's giving you life. And despite that great contrast between the wilderness and the promised land, he's the one that's doing it all in both places. And when you remember that and you don't forget it, that's where those dangers of wealth, that, that's what overcomes them. It's that faith in the Lord that he's the provider in both places. Well, and I think bringing up the the Canaanites who are in the land is a very important thing, especially as we get towards the end of this reading. Uh, That's right. Because he he says that, you know, these Canaanites are living in the land. You know, they are, like you said, reaping the benefits of it. But God is about to destroy them, you know, to destroy them before Israel so that they can take possession of the land. And that is important because that's happening because of their sins. You know, the iniquity of the Amorites has come full and it's time to bring judgment down upon Canaan. If Israel acts in the way that Moses is warning them against, they become Canaanites Hmm. and they too deserve to be destroyed because of it. So if we are following after God and trusting him, even in the midst of wealth, then we're doing what God wants us to do. But even the one who has nothing and yet refuses to trust in the Lord will be judged because of it. You know, trust in God is the most important thing here. For sure. And, and what's what's striking about this text, all, ver- all 20 verses, is that we've been talking a lot about remembering and not forgetting. And, and we've been talking about the dangers of wealth. And idolatry has not really come up specifically until the very end, that this this danger of wealth leads into idolatry. And I, I, that's just, it strikes me because of how often the book of Deuteronomy does warn against idolatry, and all the scriptures, in fact, do. Here you see how the dangers of wealth are the thing, I mean, that's what leads you to forget the Lord. And then when there's that emptiness there, when you when you are trusting in yourself, well, it's not that hard then from that moment to go into as verse 19 says, go after other gods. And then in verse 20, you're just like the nations. And how does the Lord treat the nations who don't trust in him? They perish before him because they didn't listen to him. And it is a, I mean, it, boy, what a swift downfall just from, oh, hey, we we forgot. And then boom, you're just like the other nations, you perish. That's what Moses doesn't want to happen to these people about to enter the promised land. Well, and I think because Becoming Canaanites in that way uh, is the descent into idolatry, because as soon as they forget what God has done, they become like the nations. And what are the nations doing? They are trusting in themselves. They're trusting in their false gods. You know, very often Canaanite religion was a kind of thing where 
we want to make sure that we have a good crop this year. So we'll offer up sacrifices to make sure that happens. You know, there's always this sense of we're going to do something in order to get the God's attention. And that's why we have what we have. And as soon as Israel forgets God, there's only just one little tiny step until they start doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. And and all of the wicked, abominable practices that went along with Canaanite religion, which are, are detailed elsewhere in, in the Old Testament. I mean, that's how how quickly it is. And it you I think you use the phrase deceitfulness of of wealth. Mm-hmm. That's the way Jesus speaks. You know, I mean, we don't we don't set out to forget the Lord. We don't set out usually to just jump into pagan idolatry. But when we forget, when we don't remember the Lord and his word, that's where that slide leads us down into the depths of depravity in that idolatry. And so the need for Moses' warning remains very great for Christians still today. Pastor Heidi, we got about two minutes left. Help us to wrap things up. Lots of, lots of law and gospel in this text. Give us the the good news from Deuteronomy 8. <laughs> I do want to mention one thing first before I go that direction. Um, Please. I think it's important here to bring in uh, the parable of the sower, as it's often called, or the parable of the four soils, and especially talking about the seed which was cast upon among the thorns, because I think that really drives home the point that Moses is trying to make here. You know, the word is cast And it begins to bear fruit, but because of the deceitfulness of riches, as it says in Mark, um, the the thorns grow up and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And I think that that is the great warning, the the way that Jesus emphasizes this warning to us today in in the time of the New Testament, you know, that we should not be overwhelmed by the things of the world and become attracted to the things of the world so that we do forget and that the thorns of this life choke out the faith which we do have. You know, there is that great danger, and that's what Moses and Jesus alike warns us against. But at the same time, you know, there is good news in the midst of this because, you know, it is God who gives all these good things. It is God who provides for us. And when we trust in him, even in the midst of poverty or in the midst of wealth, he will take care of us because he does not fail on his promises, promises which he has made to us in his son, Jesus Christ, and which he will fulfill. So we need to hold on to Jesus in the midst of all of life, and we will not be disappointed. Pastor Zelwyn Heidi serves at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He's also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken, helping us today with Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 to 20. Pastor Heidi, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. Remember, don't forget. This is what Moses urged the Israelites standing on the cusp of the promised land. This is what Christians today still need to hear. Remember, don't forget all that the Lord has done and continues to do for you in his son, Jesus Christ. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.